Holy Bible. Uh, if you didn't hear me earlier, children are dismissed to Children's Church at this point. Uh, I bet you're all wondering what that watermelon's for. Trust me, if you're sitting in the front row, you don't need plastic sheeting, and I don't have a mallet. Uh, but we'll get there. All right. Uh, let's pray, first of all, before we get started. God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in worship, and we submit ourselves to your word. Father, the word speaks to us uh, as from you. And Father, we pray, therefore, that we would be humble enough to submit ourselves to it and to, therefore, be changed by it. Father, we have a desire to imitate the Son and take on the image of the living God as you have promised us would happen when we follow you. Father, we pray that indeed we would reflect your image as we obey your word and as we are filled with your Holy Spirit to do so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you have joined a small group. If not, uh, I hope you will join one this week. Uh, there are still opportunities to join a small group. Uh, most of our groups would have had their first meeting this past week. Uh, I myself had the very best prayer time that I have had in years in our small group uh, this last week as the men uh, gathered in one room and the ladies in another, and it was deeply encouraging to me and I think to the other men who were there as well. Uh, really a fantastic time, and a time of looking into God's Word, of building relationships with one another, and just having some fun as believers in Christ together. So I hope that you will take the opportunity to enjoy those experiences and to pursue some deeper spiritual growth with your brothers and sisters uh, again this week. they uh, Many of them meet today. Uh, there's one that meets Friday night. Uh, and they had their first meeting this last Friday, and I trust that went well. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, we used to talk about, today we're going to talk about a resurrection bodies and what kind of bodies they are and what do they look like and these kinds of things. And when, we, when I was a kid, we used to speculate a lot as to what our resurrection body would be like. I had one person tell me, what I'm looking forward to with my resurrection body is that I'll be able to go to all the best restaurants in the, in the universe and not get fat. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I don't think, see anything in, in the Bible about it. But, you know, some of us thought, well, you know, I bet we'll be able to travel through space without a rocket. We'll just be able to appear in various places. And maybe we'll be able, like Jesus, to pass through walls uh, when all the doors are shut and all the windows are locked. We'll just be able to appear in a room. Wouldn't that be cool? And... And some, you know, I have a lot of questions about my resurrection body and what they will be like. And I think that some of them are probably like, um, probably like a kid that shows up in a candy store and is told he can have anything he wants. He's not, uh, he's not going to ask, uh, hey, do you have broccoli in here somewhere? You know, that's not a question that occurs. And I think to a certain degree, our resurrection bodies, when we have them, will be like that, and because we will be in the presence of Jesus, and we will uh, be experiencing a totally new kind of life and a totally new realm of existence before the face of 
the living God? And all these questions that we have, like we think we're going to stand in front of Jesus and we're going to say, well, now, can you explain this to me? I didn't really get it. I think probably those are going to be like questions like, do you have broccoli? Uh, you know, we're not going to want to know the answer to that. So what? It won't matter. But the Scripture does give us a lot of information about these things, and it gives it to us for two reasons. Number one, it gives it to us to encourage us, because the life that we experience down here right now is life under the curse. Amen? And our lives are characterized by earning your bread by the sweat of your brow, and with toil you will have your food. Some of you have jobs where you know all about that. Some of you have jobs where the strain is not physical, it's mental. And that actually wears you out faster, believe it or not. You can endure a lot of physical labor uh, a lot sooner than you can stress and mental strain. That puts, that's harder on your body. But nevertheless, you endure this life. And your body, if you've noticed, starts to decay somewhere around 19. You know... Up to 19, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. After that, you start to have arthritis and, and football injuries that don't heal and this kind of stuff. You know, your hair starts to fall out in hunks and whatever. And, and you're, you start to experience decay. And in fact, human beings have the longest decline of any species on the planet. Every other species, they reach their prime and they stay at their prime and then they just kind of drop off sharp off a cliff. Human beings have a decline, like I say, it starts about 19 and continues to 89. You know, it's just kind of a long, slow slide, and you kind of watch yourself move into obsolescence, followed by death. And, and it's hard. The life down here that we have is hard. So God gives us this information about the eternal state and about the resurrection of the body because He wants us to be encouraged that this is not all we have to look forward to that this is not as good as it gets, that there's more to life than just this. And we are going to experience it. And in addition to that, He gives us information about the future, about the eternal state, about the resurrection of the body, about, uh, about the coming of the King to redeem His people, about all of these things. In almost every passage that these things are discussed is given for not just encouragement, but also for this reason. For exhortation. That in light of the fact that these things are going to happen to us, what kind of people ought we to be in the here and now? And this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, contains both of these things. Now we have to wait until the till next week to get some more of the exhortation, but this is a lot of the encouragement that we get this week that these things are going to happen and they are going to be glorious. And so we want to look at what the Scripture has to say to us about the resurrection of the body. So if you've got your Bible, I'd like you to open it up with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. And we're going to go down through verse 49 today, so, so keep that Bible open. Uh, and let's read here together, beginning in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, 
but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, again, Paul is writing to a group of people who, because of the influence of their Greek worldview, don't believe in the resurrection, or some of them are having trouble believing in the resurrection. And as we saw last week, that doubt, that rejection of belief in the resurrection of the body, has disastrous consequences for the Christian faith. In fact, It's not too strong to say this, that absent belief in the resurrection, there is no such thing as a Christian faith worth believing in. If Jesus is not raised, then we are not raised. And if we are not raised, it's because we are still in our sins. And we are still, therefore, subject to God's judgment and to death and to hell. That is terrible news. But in fact, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And therefore, he will raise us from the dead. And therefore, we have a hope that is not just uh, something that we you know, think maybe possibly could be out there, but something that is certain, something to look forward to, something to anticipate with eagerness and expectation the day that we will see the Savior and live again and have new life. And as best as I can reconstruct from looking at both what Paul says as well as what I know of Greek philosophy It seems like the questioner that Paul starts with, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That the questioner is sort of mocking Paul, saying, oh yeah? So you think the dead are raised, huh? What kind of body do they have then, huh? That kind of body? That that kind of body that you have now, that can't live in heaven. That can't live before the, the, the presence of God. What do you what are you thinking, teaching that ludicrous stuff to people? And, and the idea, I think, in, in Greek philosophy is that, that the resurrection means something like dawn of the dead. Oh, you know, or, you know, that's the kind of life that you are raised up to. And if that is what the resurrection means, then that is ridiculous and ludicrous and silly, and no one should believe in that. But Paul says, no not that kind of life it's not a reanimated corpse that you possess when you have a resurrection body paul responds to three to to all these questions and he uses a literary device that the corinthians would have found familiar now some of you uh may remember uh studying greek philosophy when you were in high school or college if so you may remember a a book written by Plato called Phaedo, P-H-A-E-D-O, Phaedo. And it's a dialogue, it's a a discussion back and forth between Socrates and his disciple, who's invented for the story, Phaedo. And they're talking about the resurrection of the dead and the afterlife and these things. And so Paul borrows that literary device in which 
Socrates refers to Phaedo as, you foolish person. Now, this is something every Greek-speaking person in Paul's day would have known, would have been familiar with, would have understood. And so he's working for some, from something they do understand and a literary device they have seen before to answer questions about the same topic, the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul says to them, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each seed its own body. Now, you should have on your, uh, on your notes there, you should have a watermelon seed. Now, as you look at it, I want you to ask yourself this question. Does what you sow bear a strong resemblance to what results? No. It's a bare kernel. It goes into the ground, and what comes out is much more glorious. Amen? What comes out is, has a body of its own, and it doesn't look like what you put in the ground. It is of much greater, grander glory. Nobody wants to eat a watermelon seed. On the other hand, if you come to my small group this afternoon, we'll crack into this bad boy. All right? And we will enjoy it in all of its gloriousness. It is, and, and what comes to life doesn't come to life unless the seed goes into the ground and rots. You stick the seed in the ground, it rots, and then what's inside there gives forth a new plant that grows and produces those. And it's fantastic. Amen? Or if you've ever been out to California, which I've, I've never been, but I've just seen pictures of these giant sequoia trees. They have the seed that's about that big. That you plant that, and this gigantic tree that you can drive your car through comes out of that. And you go, how does that happen? Well, what goes into the ground dies and it springs forth this massive thing with a much, which a much greater level of grandeur and glory to it. And Paul is saying the same thing is true with reference to us. Now, when do we go into the ground? When we die, we get planted. Uh, Becky Cheney was so sweet to me. She, uh, she, when I turned 40, she got me a, a letter on planning my funeral in advance, which was great. So fantastic. So encouraging. Uh, that and some Velcro shoes in case I'm having trouble now at my advanced age. Uh, but one day it's going to happen. Unless Jesus returns, and we'll look at that next week, unless Jesus returns, I'm going to get planted as will all of you. But what is going to come out of that tomb, though it will have identity with what went in, you know, if you plant watermelon seeds, you ought not expect to get apple trees. It's going to have some identity between me and what comes out of the ground. You'll, I'll be recognizable as me, hopefully with better hair and a smaller waistline. But nevertheless, I'll be recognizable as me. There'll be some identity between 
what went into the ground and what came out, but what came out will have much greater glory and much more grandeur. And it'll be a kind of life that we can scarcely imagine. We can't quite fathom what this will be like. But um, but they, we will be raised to a new kind of life, a new kind of glorious existence. And be sure not to miss verse 38. Look at it. It says there's two verbs there. The word gives is a verb, and the word has chosen is a verb. And they both have the same subject, and that is God. That according to God's plan, according to God's purpose, just as seeds have according to his plan and according to what he decides they should have, that is what kind of body that they have. And the idea is this. And to answer the Corinthian question, what kind of bodies do they come with? They come with their own bodies as assigned by God, but with a body that has been transformed. Amen? With a body that has been transformed. That little seed gives you no hint that this is what it's going to be. And in fact, that, that it's going to produce a vine, it's going to produce a bunch of these. It gives you no hint of that. And yet, we know that that's going to be reality. And the same thing is true with reference to us, that God is giving us advanced indication that we're going to have something much greater and grander that comes forth from this. Now, Paul's next example is from biology. And if you look down at verse 39, he says, not all flesh is the same. And he starts talking about um, all different kinds of flesh. So you've got uh, chicken, which is different from duck, which is different from beef, which is different from tuna. Amen? Anybody hungry yet? All right, all these things are different from human beings. And in verse 40, Paul says, then there's also different kind of bodies for heavenly things. And those heavenly things are different from anything on earth. And the implication is, is that just as there are different kind of bodies for creatures, that we'll have different kind of bodies. And just as all of those kind of bodies are different on earth from anything in heaven, so we will be different in heaven than what we are now on earth. That stars are very different from anything that you see on earth. And they have a different kind of body than anything you see on earth. But in the same way, when we are in heaven, when we are in the presence of God, we will have a different kind of body than anything you have seen now. And that leads to Paul's next example, which is from astronomy. And in Paul's day, astronomy, the telescope and all that had not been invented yet. So astronomy was limited to what you could see with your naked eye. They could see a lot more than we could see nowadays because we have all the light pollution of our electric lights and major cities and cars and all of that. We can't see what all the things they could see. But nevertheless, the ancients knew the stars and they understood the solar system. And the sun is obviously the thing that shines brightest during the day. And then you've got the moon at night. And then also at night, you have what appear to be just little twinkling lights, stars. And so you've got descending orders of glory. 
the sun and then the moon and then the stars. And he says, and stars differ from stars in their glory. That some of the stars are very close to us and also very big, and so they shine brightly. And others of them are farther away and they look small. Some of the ones that look small are in reality humongous. But they're, they're further away from us and they don't transmit much light, but they differ from one another in glory. And the implication of that is, I think, what Paul is telling us is, is that just as the stars differ in glory, just as the sun differs from the moon in glory, I think the implication we ought to draw is that we as believers, when we have our heavenly bodies, will also differ from one another in glory. We will not all be the same. We will differ from one another. Now, let's move on. He says, so it is, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are, are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And here Paul starts describing the glory of the new body. And first, what we have now is what is sown. It's like the seed that goes into the ground. It's a reference to burial. And if we belong to Jesus, though, our bodies don't stay buried. It doesn't stay underground. It rises. And when it rises, it rises as something that shares an identity with our physical body, but is also significantly different from it. What is buried is perishable. It rots. Remember Hamlet? You read, you read your Shakespeare. Hamlet has this long soliloquy, to be or not to be. And then at some point later, he's talking about, he's talking about how you know, a king can rot in the ground and be food for worms. And then an ordinary fella can catch a worm and use the worm to catch a fish. And he says, thus does a king proceed through the guts of a beggar. And, and that is the idea, is that what goes into the ground rots and disappears. But God is able to raise that rotted, even disappeared thing imperishable. He is able to transform a rotting, dying, physical body into a glorious, imperishable, everlasting body that can never die. God is able to reassemble Every dead person, you know, when they die, despite the best efforts of the mortician, they all still look dead. And we don't have, as Paul says, there is no honor and glory to that. And we are 
sown in dishonor, but we are raised in glory. And we are no, no longer subject to decline and decay. And our bodies are sown in weakness, but they are raised in power. When we die, most of us will, will die, at least in this country, of old age. And when we die, we will, as I said, no longer be 10 feet tall and bulletproof. We'll have trouble getting stuff off the upper shelves, opening jars, just even walking, a lot of us. We are sown in weakness. We are raised in power. And we don't have to worry about all the stuff that starts to afflict us anymore. In fact, we won't have to worry about it not even the first second that we are recipients of our transformed bodies. There won't ever be a time, try to imagine that, there won't ever be a time when we will wear out. We are wearing out as we sit here. As we sit here. You know, if you... That's why old mattresses are heavy, because, because all that dead skin is in there, okay? All embedded in the mattress, right? We wear out while we sit, while we sleep. Our cells are dying off. Some of you are thinking, I lost a few brain cells on that joke. But, and you probably did. But in any case, in any case, we are... We, To to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, he says this. Lewis says that our bodies are like an old car. And with an old car, you can keep them going for a while. You can go see Jeff Dunbar, as I do, and and take your stuff in, and he'll go, well, you need new tires, you need new brakes, uh, you need a new water pump, uh, radiator's about shot. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can invest in all that stuff, but it all adds up to the same diagnosis, which is the car is wearing out. And at some point, you're going to have to either invest a significant amount of money in replacing everything, or you're going to have to get a different one. And our bodies start to accumulate diagnoses, don't they? And they all add up to the same thing. The car is wearing out. And one day it will wear out completely. And we will have a spiritual body that will replace it. And, and the thing about a spiritual body is, is, that is important to remember is this. A lot of people equate spiritual with not really real. With not really there, as if we're kind of this disembodied ghost like Casper floating around somewhere. That we're going to have a spiritual body and that's kind of what we're going to look like. But that is nothing like what Paul is saying. In fact, I think Lewis is really helpful again on this. He says, he says elsewhere that when we think about spiritual, a lot of times we think not really real. As opposed to physical, which is real. But I think the distinction is very likely the opposite. That what we have now, in comparison to what we will have, 
when we have a spiritual body, as Paul says, is going to make what we have now seem like the not really real, like a dream you woke up from. You ever have one of those where you go, <gasps> and you're like, oh, was that real? No. Oh, praise God. Right? And, and all of a sudden, you wake up and you experience real life. Well, when we experience death and then the, the, the restoration of our body to where we now have a spiritual body, that's what this life is going to feel like, like a bad dream we woke up from. And we'll be in the presence of the living God. We'll be with the Savior, with a new kind of body that doesn't perish or spoil or fade or decline or, or age or die. And if you look at verses, uh, let me skip here, uh, verse 45 to 49. Take a look at this. This is exciting stuff. Paul lines up Adam and Jesus again. Uh, Adam and Jesus are two pivotal men in, in the whole Bible. Uh, the first man, Adam, plunges humanity into sin, death, and hell. The second man, Jesus, announces through his death, through his body, salvation, life, and redemption. And, and so Paul lines these two guys up again, as he did earlier in the chapter, and he says, look, according to the creation account, Adam became a living being. How did that happen? Do you remember? It says, and the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. In other words, the dirt man all of a sudden has life. The creature made out of the dirt. And the thing about the dirt man is that he goes back to where he came from. All of us are descendants of the dirt man. And we go back to where we came from. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. That is the curse. Amen? And and Paul says, just as those who are related to Adam go back and share Adam's destiny, so those who are related to Jesus will share his destiny. And Jesus has a very different destiny than Adam did. Jesus went into the ground because he was the son of Adam. But because he was the son of God, he was raised from the dead, never to die again. And he says, those of us who are related to Adam will share his destiny. Jesus, just as Adam returned to where he was from, so Jesus returned to where he was from. Adam went back into the dirt. Jesus went back into heaven. He says, those who are only related to Adam will go where he goes, back into the dirt. But those who are related to Jesus will share his destiny and go back with him to heaven. Make sense? Uh, he says, just as we have borne the image of the man of the dirt, we will also bear the image of the man from heaven. In other words, just as we are, just as we inherit from Adam a nature like his, he fell into sin, and then after that, we are passed down from your daddy, your sin nature. You inherit from Adam, your first father, a sin nature, something which drives you and shapes you and depraves you 
toward sin. He says, just as you've had that image stamped on you, you will also have a different image stamped on you, the image of the man from heaven, the image of Jesus. And Paul says elsewhere, when we see him, we will be like him. That we will have, that we will have the same kind of life in ourselves that Jesus has in himself. And we will look like Jesus, not maybe in our form, but in our character and in the kind of life that we have, we will be like Jesus. Just as you have borne the image of the man from the dirt, so you will bear the image of the man. That's exciting. That's exciting. It means that one day, all the stuff that is wrong with me, and I'm not talking just about physical stuff, although I've got some physical stuff wrong with me. That's not the significant stuff. The significant stuff is the stuff that exists within me that is at the heart level that I can't quite get rid of, that separates me from God, that divides me in my relationships with people, that makes me not the kind of person I would like to be, but a person marked and stamped with the image of Adam. One day, one day, I'll be shattered in half. Snake coming out of its tongue. Leave it behind. Come on. And I will have a glorious new body that will never perish. I will have a glorious new nature. Both the outside of me and the inside of me will be transformed. And so will you. If you are related to Jesus. So, let's consider these things and the impact that believing in them should have on us. First of all, this only matters, this whole discussion only matters at all if you are related to the man from heaven. Amen? That unless you have personally put your trust in Jesus Christ, none of this applies in any way whatsoever. Because, in fact, you will be raised from the dead, but you will not experience a glorious resurrection in the presence of Jesus to live with him forever. You will wish that your physical death was the last thing you experienced. Because upon you will remain the wrath of God. And you will dwell not in glory, but in torment. And that is terrifying. In fact, even to talk about it, if we are believers in Christ, ought to produce in us a catch in our voice and a tear in our eye. The people we love may go here, separated from God, raised not up to everlasting glory, but to immortal horror of which the nastiest, scariest movie you have ever seen is just a warm-up. And so I encourage you, you do not know the Savior. In other words, if you don't know for certain, you don't know for certain, for a fact, that if you died today, that you would be raised to new life in the presence of your Savior, 
who loves you and whom you love, you don't know, don't go home. Don't go home without solving it. You come talk to me. You come talk to Mark Swanson. You come talk to Rick Belock. You come talk to uh, Rick Rosetto or Cindy Rosetto or any of the other people here who know the Savior, and we will be happy to introduce you. Because this is too important. You have got to solve this question of eternal destiny. And you need to do so today. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. But, on the other hand, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I have such good news for you. This is fantastic stuff. That little seed is going to go into the ground, and it's going to produce something that makes this look like, you know, cheap candy at the bank or something. You know, you know, it's like we're going to have a glory to us that is beyond description. You know, if you tell a kid who has a sandbox that you're going to go to the beach and he's never been, he has no idea what that's like. He said, well, they have sand there. Oh, like in the backyard we have a sandbox? Uh, yeah, kind of, but not really. There's the ocean there, and there's more sand than you can imagine. And that's the kind of contrast between the life we have now and the life we're going to experience. It's like playing in the sandbox versus going to the beach. We are going to have a glorious life. And knowing that ought to, first of all, change the way you look at yourself. That you are not just a human being. You are not just a collection of ailments and flaws and sins or the sum of your accomplishments and strengths and experiences but you are a child of the one true king. And on top of that, you are one who is going to bear the image of the man from heaven. And on top of that, you are destined for greatness and for glory. And on top of that, no matter what difficulties you go through in the here and now, no matter how broken down we get, and some of us are getting awfully broken down, no matter how broken down we are, in just a little while, we're going to have a grandeur and a glory that we cannot even comprehend. And no matter how insignificant we feel we are, we are going to be like gods and goddesses in the presence of the king. That is an amazing thing. And it ought to change how we look at ourselves. And in addition to that, it ought to change how you look at your neighbor. Amen? Let me draw this out. Oh, one little more quote from C.S. Lewis here. He says this. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to now may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Look at the person next to you. And just imagine that one day they're going to be transformed. And if you could see what that transformation looked like, 
realize that you are going to be, that if you could see it now, what they're going to be then, if they're related to the, to the living God, that you would be strongly tempted to worship them right now. Think about that. And he's exactly right. That is what the scripture is telling us. And so there is no such thing, Lewis goes on to say, as an ordinary person. It is immortals that we work with and play with and marry and snub and exploit. There's immortal people. There's no such thing as a mortal human being. We are all immortal. And we will all dwell in one of two destinations, either in everlasting splendor with the king or in everlasting horror condemned with Satan. And it ought to change how we look at our neighbor. And and finally, believing in the resurrection of the body ought to change how we look at God. I think there is a constant temptation, even among Christians, to look at God as this loving but remote, uh, gracious but distant being somewhere out there. But here's the thing. What Jesus reveals to us is that God is a God who's willing to come down into the mess. That he's a God who is willing to come down into the mess. Remember where he was born? In a manger, in a barn. First smells other than his mother's body would have been urine and feces from the barn. He, li- he lives in a, it is a peasant in a village in the middle of basically nowhere. There would have been farm animals running around through the village. He had a job where he had dirt under his fingernails and calluses on his hands. He lived a life where he wore the only clothes that he owned and then is eventually put to death in the most excruciating manner you can imagine. All so that he could bring about the redemption and transformation and resurrection of you and me. And Jesus' resurrection prefigures ours. It says to us, God cares about the body, not just the inner parts of us, but all of us. The parts that get dirty, the parts that that break, the parts that are subject to decay. He cares about that part of us too. And He came in a body to redeem the body. And He came as God to experience physical life because physical life matters. Because we live in a physical life. And we have a God who is not distant from us, who's not remote, who's not watching over us from a distance, as Bette Midler sang in that horrible song. He's not doing that. He's a God who gets down into life, who gets down and dirty with us, and is therefore able to pull us out. Who is therefore able to pull us out. And I don't know where you are today in your relationship with God. One of the best things you could ever know is that no matter where you are, no matter where you are, no matter how dirty you feel, you love and worship and are loved and cared about by a God who is willing to wade into that mess with you and pull you out. Because that's what he's going to do. 
He's going to pull our bodies out of the muck that we are in and transform us and take us home. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That we serve a God and are loved by a God who got down into the mess with us so that he might pull us out. Father, we thank you that we are not simply children of Adam, but we are children of the King. That we will bear the image of the heavenly man just as we have borne the image of the man of the deep. And that we are not destined for dirt, but destined for glory. Father, I pray that you would transform our hearts by these truths. Help us to worship you well. Pray in